0: Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. So today, as we get into the Word, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 11. And and I want to go back to just a couple things from last week where we were talking about There is a difference between righting wrongs and dealing with rights and wrongs in the body of Christ and addressing those things where it says if your brother sins against you, you go to them. If that doesn't work, you bring someone else, um, or you bring it to the leaders of the church, and there's a process in that. But the the important thing to highlight in those scriptures is that this is for the purpose of reconciliation. Some people want to go around and just tell people how hurt they are and never want reconciliation. Well, that doesn't help anyone. Now it just leaves everybody simmering in this hurt and this bitterness, this brokenness and offense. Uh, Or the other thing we do is we short-circuit the process and we gather a whole bunch of people to get on our side and we want to talk about how we've been wrong and we've never ever had the intention of dealing with it or going to the person and letting God restore and heal hearts on both sides. Now, next week we're going to talk about how repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation all work together because... There are certain things that we need to learn about forgiveness in our heart that sets us free but Please hear me right on this, that there are certain things in life that when someone, uh, if you've tried to address it, you've forgiven a person and they have not repented, that does not mean you trust them, you reconcile with them, you live in a broken, abusive situation. That is not the will of God for your life, but there is a goal and purpose of God, and we can't limit ourselves to what the Holy Spirit can do if we submit to the process, but we can't control other people also. We can control our hearts. So as we continue to walk, we're we're learning these things. But offense happens when we hold on to those things. And we either do one of two things. We never deal with them in our heart before God. And we never deal with them with people. And sometimes when you can't deal with it with a person, you better deal with it before God. Because if you don't do that, your heart is going to get stopped up, plugged up. And it's actually going to limit how you can move in freedom and in your life because you have let offense drive your actions, your motivations, your heart, where God's saying, hey, I want you to live free from that, even though sometimes you don't get the, I'm sorry, even though sometimes you don't get the answer that you want, God doesn't want you to live stuck and broken in that place. He can still bring healing and life in your heart when you're willing to surrender to him in his presence. But that's one of the hardest things to do. Because God, I want to forgive, but, no, Lord, I, I, I know you can heal my heart, but, and and God would just keep steering us back to this place where it's, let's talk about us and deal with us. And so in Matthew chapter 11, we find this interesting story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his disciples, he went out to teach and pre- preach and teach in towns throughout the region. So Jesus had. Uh, given all these instructions, and now he's like, I'm going to start going teaching, preaching. And as Jesus is out teaching and preaching, and he's performing miracles and doing all these things, it says this. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. Now, let's remember some things about John the Baptist. If you're new to Scripture, if you're new to the Word of God, John the Baptist is Jesus' older cousin. He actually spent his whole life in ministry preparing the platform and the place and the way for Jesus to do what Jesus needed to do on this earth. John was a great man of God. And here's John, though. It says, when John's sitting in prison, he hears about what his cousin Jesus is doing. And he might be thinking, I used to do that. I used to talk about what God wanted to do for people and, and where he was leading them. I was the one doing all the ministry, and now John's in a prison listening to all the stories about Jesus ministering. And I have you ever thought this? I wonder if John ever thought, like, okay, I'm here to prepare the way. I'm here to make sure that Jesus, he's the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. John knew that. But he's like, Don't you wish, like, Jesus got these disciples. Some of Jesus' disciples left John to be Jesus' disciples. Like, don't you think John might have felt like, Jesus, how come you didn't make me your number two? How come we're not doing this together anymore? Ministries took a a separate turn, and and John's sitting in prison, and he hears about all the things that the Messiah was doing. So he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, verse 3, are you the Messiah we've been preaching about, or should we keep looking for someone else? And as a question like, Jesus, I think I know, but my situation's telling me maybe you're not the guy I thought you were. Because my personal expectation might have told me that if you are who I've preached about you and who I, if you've, I've said you are, why am I stuck here? That's probably what he's feeling. Verse four. So Jesus tells them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. Verse five. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. I believe in the ESV it says, God blesses those who are not offended by me. Verse 7. As, soon as, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go in the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer to when they say, Look, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Now, It's an interesting turn of events, because here you have Jesus having this conversation with John, and, and in one breath, he's like, John, you've heard what's happening. You know the answer to the question that you're asking, so don't get offended, and don't lose heart, and don't fall away because of what's going on now. I know you don't like where you are right now. And then he turns to the crowd, and he actually honors John in front of all of the people. He's like... If you want to know who I am and you want to know who John is, John is the one that the scriptures prophesied about. But it doesn't change John's situation in that moment. And and Jesus starts going through this and he honors John and and, but he also said to John, He says, John, you, you can't let this offense, you can't let this hurt this situation you're stuck in become the thing that derails yours and my relationship and your trust in the Father. And what I want you to know today that sometimes when we're dealing with offense and we're, we're not happy with where we're at and when we're not sure about how things are going, there are times we are offended because we have unmet expectations in our life. Have you ever been there? You've been in the place where you said, God, I thought, but then this happened. Lord, I trusted you with this, but then life took a turn. And there are times in our life that we have to deal with offense and our own emotions because we have unmet expectations where God or someone else didn't do for us what we thought they should. And and it's not a matter of whether or not God loves us anymore. It's not a matter of whether or not we're fulfilling our purpose or our calling. Sometimes mixed in all of that, especially when you get involved in levels of leadership, the dimension that you have to wrestle with is God I want to be where I want to be and there are dreams and there's purpose and vision and it doesn't mean they won't happen because they haven't happened yet but there are seasons and moments and times where you look at your situation around you, your immediate circumstance and you're living in a season of unfulfilled expectation. Maybe they're for never. Maybe they're for not right now but you feel unfulfilled. You feel stuck. It seems like everyone else is moving forward in those things and you can blame that on a person. You can blame that on God but what you have to be aware of is that when you sit stuck in that moment, in that place, the root of offense would love to take your heart to a place where you stop up relationship with the people you feel that stopped you from getting what you thought you deserve, or it keeps you in a place where you don't actually commune with the Father the way you used to, because you're like, God, how could you do this to me? I thought you said. And that's a tension in life, because when when you look at the Word of God and the promise of God, and then I believe fully in the the prophetic voice of God in his church and for people that there is corporate dynamics and callings that God calls us to do but I feel that the voice of the Lord the word of God needs to come over every individual's life that they know their purpose they know why they're here they know what God wants to do in their heart but in the midst of that word coming and some of you have had great prophetic words I've had so many over my life that still aren't where I think they should have been by now but guess what when you're met with that in-between season, the question is, how are you going to respond to the Lord? Because just because there's a promise and there's a word and it's delayed or it's left unfulfilled or your expectations are unmet or it doesn't work out the way you thought it would work out, there is room for bitterness and hurt and offense to stop us from living in the here and now to the fullness of what God has for us. It actually robs you of the present situation and the things that you can do when you dwell on it for too long. You know, in Luke chapter 15, verse 29, there was this verse. We talked about the prodigal sons last week. The, you know, the one son leaves, he takes his inheritance, he spends it all. The older son stays in the house, but he basically lived as far from the heart of his father as the other brother, because he says things like this. He replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and never once you refused to do a single thing you told me to do. In all that time, listen, this is what he says to his father, you never gave me. Even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And this is, this is the hinge point that the enemy wants us to live stuck with, where when we have unmet expectations, when we haven't been brought into the fulfillment of God's promise for us, we can have all the blessings of his house. We can be in so many things that are good in our life, and our family, and situations. There's bad mingled in with all of that. There's disappointment. But when we carry a heart like the older brother that says, God... I'm going to live in an attitude where when I come to pray, when I come and I hear that you want to fulfill things in people's life or other people get excited because you're, you're opening doors and they're stepping to promise, and, and we got to be careful our heart doesn't get to the place like this where we say, God, I work hard and you've never done this for me. It's not wrong to wonder. It's not wrong to desire the fullness of God for your life. It's not wrong to actually believe God for more in your life. But when you live in a place that is so bitter towards God and saying, God, you owe me something. And I'm going to live kind of half mad at you until I get that. It's really going to stop up all the good relationships you could have in that moment. says the older brother didn't even want to go into the feast. His brother's friends should have been his friends. His dad's friends should have been his friends. And he said, no, 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 I want no part of that. Like he was stopping himself from the good that was available in that moment because he felt like he wasn't getting what he deserved. And, and John the Baptist starts questioning his situation. He starts questioning, Jesus, what are you doing right now? And he, and he asks these questions in, in Matthew 11, verse 4 to 6. He says this, he said, are you... The Messiah, and and Jesus, go back and tell John what you've heard and seen. What did he say? He said, John, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he says, don't be offended by me. And John would have known this scripture. Jesus wasn't just telling John about all the good things he was doing. Jesus was quoting the messianic prophecies. From Isaiah that said, he will come, and he will open the blind eyes, and he will, the lame will walk, and and the deaf ears will be open, and all this stuff. But you know what he didn't say to John? Jesus purposely leaves out Isaiah 42, verse 7, where it says, the captives are released. I don't think that's by accident. Because if Jesus would have said, see, John, the lame walk, the blind see, leprosy is healed, Oh, yeah, the captives are released. John be like, good, I'm going to be set free. Jesus doesn't even say that to John. He doesn't say, yeah, John, the captives are released. He says, no, John, don't be offended. John, if you never leave that prison, are you going to serve our heavenly father regardless? I mean, that's some tough love. That's the question we have to answer. Because the older I get and the longer I walk with Jesus, what I've had to learn is that when life has... Good times, when it has difficult times, when you're in a situation, if you don't make the decision long before you question whether or not God is good or he's giving you what you deserve or if your circumstance lines up with your personal faithfulness, you will question God even like John the Baptist did and said, Jesus, where are you right now? And sometimes the answer Jesus gives you says, don't let your heart get bitter, don't be offended, don't stop serving me Even if I never meet this expectation in your life. And that is tough to live with sometimes. Because God is not trying to withhold from you. But sometimes there are things in life we dream of, we ask for, we desire. And maybe they're from God and maybe they're not. And sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says that's not for you. I'm so glad that you have a heart for that, but that's not not for you. And, and it happened to guys like Moses. It happened to guys like David. Happens to John the Baptist. Hey, you've been faithful. You've served me. I still love you. You have so much good. You've fulfilled your call. But Moses, you're not going into the promised land the way you thought. David, you don't get to build the house. You've done some things that... That consequence just has to, I have to keep it clean. It's going to transfer to your son Solomon. You can do other things, David. John, you've done your job. You proclaimed that Jesus is coming. You gave up disciples for me. Yes, people are hearing the gospel. They're being saved. You pointed them towards the Messiah. And he's saying, John, at the end of your life, don't get so wrapped up in the one thing that didn't happen that you thought should happen, that you are angry at God and let it stop you from believing you did all the things that God called you to do. Because sometimes when we're offended, it's because we have unmet expectations. Often I believe that when it comes to offense, the next thing we need to really sink in our hearts and we need to understand is that offense often comes because of an issue we don't deal with on the inside of ourselves. You know, my brother always says this, he says, Guys come to him and complain, he's like, Well that's an issue, not an ish me, you know? (laughs) And sometimes people come to us and they're like, This is wrong and that and I would do it this way and it's like, Well that that's your issue, not my issue. And part of that is sometimes like, I don't want to carry someone else's offense. And what we have to be careful is we got to discern in our heart, God, is this an issue inside of me? Or is this an issue worth bringing other people into? Because something is actually sinful, wrong, needs to be corrected. Or is it just something I'm wrestling with on the inside? Because sometimes things are simply stylistic things, different ways of doing things. They're just the way they are, and there is no intention, malice, or, 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 or reason to try and willfully, spitefully hurt someone. And sometimes, because of our own unme- expectations or issues going on inside of us, we can make issues out of things that are actually about things inside of us, not actually what, how people have treated us or so on and so forth. They're just being revealed because we don't like the way those things came out. And we have to get to a place where we're honest enough to take assessment before God and before our, before, in ourselves and, and have enough self-awareness that you don't get so self-deprecating uh, that you think you're this horrible, worst person in the world. But you can actually be aware of that. I have faults. I have shortcomings. And I know that these are things that I'm going to have to struggle through and pray for and bring before the Lord because it's actually not so-and-so's problem. This is just things that I still wrestle on the inside, and I haven't fully surrendered to the Lord. And we all have days like that. And, and we got to be very careful and discerning on how we walk through some of those things. Because I think for the older brother in the story of the prodigal son is, I, I actually think one of the reasons he might have been mad at his brother and the grace of God, we talked about this a bit last week, that sometimes it frustrates us when the grace of God is so good. Someone can live in sin. They can live how they want. And God just so deliberately sets them free, restores them, brings them in. And sometimes, hey, where's my church people? Like, you grew up in church your whole life. You try to be a good boy, good girl. Like, there's lots of us in the room. Sometimes, though, I, I heard a friend preach on this once, and it's like, I wonder if part of the issue in him was like, well, if this is how easy it is, maybe I should have lived for myself a little bit more. Ever thought about that? oh, well, if I would have known everything would be instantly restored, maybe I should have left the farm for a few years and lived how I want, lived it up, because it seems like there's no consequence. Trust me, there is consequence. But like any good father or parent does, is you deal with consequences with your children individually. My kids say to me all the time, well, you don't give them trouble. Yeah, we give them trouble, but we try to dignify each of you and not do it in front of each other because the things we're trying to deal with with each individual child in character issues has to be kept private and keep their dignity so we help them grow. We're not into punishment just to demoralize or demean someone. We're in it for growth and restoration and future. And so the older brother could be thinking, he comes back, you just forgive him. I'm sure the father forgave him, but I'm sure there were conversations after of saying, son, let's deal with the brokenness that you're feeling now, the consequence of that, that you're going to always carry until we really get through your heart that I've actually forgiven you. And the older brother could be sitting there at times thinking, well, if I would have known it was this easy, maybe I, maybe I would have you know, slept around a little bit more. Maybe I would have threw a few more parties. Maybe I would have spent more money and thought, well, dad will be there to bail me out. Because in the inside of his heart, there were issues that had not been dealt with. And in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says this. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires within you? Like James is just saying this. Sometimes when we have these arguments, when we have these offenses, when we have these fights over things that maybe don't matter in light of eternity, and guys, there's nothing more frustrating that when you know it's something you got to deal with And maybe this isn't that important and it's got you all riled up and then your wife says to you, well, that's probably just your issue and do you really want to make this a big deal? Oh, when I hear those words from my wife, does it kill my soul? (laughs) Not only because I know she's right, it's because I know that there are things inside of me that I have to continually lay down because if I don't, they're going to rear their heads at weird times. And sometimes it comes out at people that aren't even uh, remotely involved, and it's out of a past issue. When I moved to BC, my friend who is a pastor there, sometimes we'd talk about things, and I'd get angry about something. He's like, okay, well, what is this all about? And I said, well, when you said that, this is what it made me feel. And he said, you have to stop putting the unspoken expectation of former leaders on me. If there's a miscommunication between us, ask for clarity and we'll deal with it in this moment because I can't handle your emotion from a past moment because I don't deserve that. And I was like kind of shocked. And then honestly, I woke up the next morning. I'm like, thank God for a friend like that. Because he wasn't saying don't have your emotions. He says, when you have them, if you're completely honest with me, I will tell you exactly what I meant and then we'll move forward from there. Because sometimes you'll say, I, I actually didn't mean it that way. And sometimes you'll say, yeah, I did mean it that way. And this is what I want you to do for your job. But at least it was clear. It wasn't passive aggressive. It wasn't any sort of thing. And, and so we, we would talk through those things. But you know that in your own heart, there are things that you have to deal with. Because there's a war going on inside of us. Verse 2. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. But you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You kind of get in your spirit, like sometimes you do this, like, well, if I can't have what I truly desire in my heart and I haven't surrendered my heart to the Lord, I'm going to make sure no one else succeeds or feels joyful in their calling or in their, what God's doing in their life because if I can't be happy, they shouldn't be happy. And we guise it under some sort of weird spiritual, well, stay humble, brother and sister. No, rejoice with those who Rejoice. You know, we we, kind of like, we've leaned into this and so yet you don't have what you want because why? Because you don't ask God for it. And sometimes I think we're scared to ask God for it because we know God said, well, we got to deal with some things on the inside. Because when you have to ask God for the things that you desire, and if your desires are misplaced, you know the Holy Spirit is going to show you where you have to adjust you. And it's not about everyone else. It's between you and the Lord. Verse 4. Or three. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Have you ever thought sometimes that our frustration with the things that are unmet and unfulfilled in our life that other people see happen or don't happen because? The Lord wants to release them to us, but he can't do it when our motives are wrong and our heart is not soft before him because then we will think we did it on our own. We will think that we don't need God, and we will continually think that we deserve something. But when we ask of God and we get into that place and we say, God, sometimes I need to deal with something on the inside of me, sometimes I've seen this in people's lives where God releases something that almost seemed like it wasn't going to happen for a long time because their heart shifted. And the motive changed. And God says, okay, I can trust you with this because you've dealt with the issue of entitlement. You've dealt with the issue of all those things. And I'm not saying that people in this room, that you have all these things. I'm just saying that when we look at the offense that we have, the things that we carry, there are times in our lives we need to get before the Lord And we got to deal with the issues inside of ourselves because we're getting angry, we're getting hurt, we're getting embittered and offended by so many other people and God because we won't surrender ourselves in submission in the presence of God to let him show us our true heart motives. I said this scripture uh, in in pre-service prayer team rally this morning. So the word of God is sharp, living, powerful, like a two-edged sword, dividing the soul and the spirit, God wants to get your spiritual nature and desires and the call of God in your life separate from your emotions so he can show you what's what and he can show you where you're dealing in emotion, where you're dealing in spiritual things. And I I want you to hear this. God doesn't cut to injure or damage you. He cuts so you can clearly see the division between them so you can heal and be whole and move forward in what he has for you. That cut is like a a skilled surgeon. It's not, a, it's not a take a gouge out of someone and, and, and all of these things. No, no, no. It's calculated. It's meticulous. It's so, if we cut right, things can grow back together and they can heal and they can be whole and they can function the way they're meant to function. But it requires us to go back to the place where we say, Lord, when I'm hurt and when I'm offended... <coughs> Help me see the issues within my own heart and be honest enough to deal with them in your presence. Because I don't want it to come out on other people. I don't want it to affect my relationships with people. But I'm telling you from experience, this is one of the hardest battles you'll ever have to fight in your walk with Jesus. Because God is asking us to surrender and submit over and over again, for the health of our soul, for the health of our future, for the health of people and relationships, knowing that we are human beings born into sin and we cannot do this on our own except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says you got to come close. And we read the rest of James last week where it says, so humble yourselves before God. Let him draw near to you in these situations. So, you know, offense can come because of unmet expectations uh, either with God or someone else in our life, yeah, offense can come because of an issue we haven't dealt with on the inside of our house, ourselves. But the last thing I want to leave you with this morning is, is this, is that I often believe, and, and what I felt like the Holy Spirit saying is that when we look at our lives and we, we want to deal with offense and we want to deal with being able to move forward, one of the most important reasons to deal with this area of our hearts is because offense will put more distance between you and Jesus than you think. A fence will put more distance between you and Jesus than you think. Not just other people. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And every time a kid was upset or mad at their friends at youth group, well, I'm not coming anymore. And I used to try to, like, coddle kids and, like, oh, but you should come, it'll be fun, and you'll make new friends. And all this stuff, and finally one day I was like, why am I doing this? And Brandy's like, you should be, when, okay, when I give illustrations, my wife has told me, sometimes you sound very cold-hearted and matter-of-fact. That's not my heart. But I eventually started having conversations with young people, and I started saying things like this. So if you don't come to youth next week because they're livid, they're angry, can I tell you what? Your teenage friends and your adult friends will sometimes treat you the exact same way. We just hide it a whole lot better. Anyone ever been there? Passive-aggressive texts, didn't invite me to that barbecue, all those things. Matt stole my bike, you know. <laughs> Can't even report it to the police because he's on the inside. And No, no, but we, we, we do these things where we actually don't realize that our, our, our knee-jerk reactions actually put a distance between us and God. And so I started sitting with young people, and I said, okay, so you're not going to come anymore because she didn't invite you to her birthday party or someone said something negative about you at youth group. And we had a youth group of like 150 kids at the time. And I said, let's be honest. We had Tuesday night youth church and Friday night activities. And I said, so you're never going to come on Tuesdays again or Friday nights. They're like, no, not at all because one friend offended me. They said something bad about me. And I said, so think about that. You have six to eight opportunities every month to build new friendships and to meet with Jesus And you're going to stop yourself from hearing from God and what he wants for your life and leaders who love you and people who care about you because you're mad at one person. Do you actually see how the enemy is using that to distance you from Jesus? The enemy could care less about your one friendship and you need to start caring more about getting to a place where you don't stop your own growth in the presence of Jesus. And people do this in church all the time. Because we will hurt each other at times. We will do things knowingly or unknowingly, right or wrong, and we got to deal with those things. But there will be moments and times where the enemy would take those instances and try and pull on our heart and say, yeah, you should never go anymore. Why? Because it, if the enemy stops you from the corporate gathering, he stops you from encountering the presence of God he, the way he meant it to be encountered in a room like this. And there have been times I've been offended I've been offended at my pastors, and you go to church, and you worship, and you worship because you're a leader, and you have set an example, and about halfway through worship, the Lord says, now, what are you doing? Quit being an idiot and put your heart into it, and then you sit down, and you pray, and then by the end of the day, you're like, okay, Lord, i got to smarten up, fix my attitude, but when you don't go, when you separate yourself out, see, for me, it was easy because it was my job. If I don't show up, I don't get paid, so God had a way to keep getting me back to church, for some of you, though, you're like, well, I'm just never going to Bible study again. She made the same brownies as me, and I said I was bringing brownies. I'm like, that was blatant trying to take my place in the friend group. I'm never going back again. And because of something like that, you stop yourself from the ministry, the relationship, the flow of the Holy Spirit, if you wants to do. And I want us to see that, Offense actually puts more distance between Jesus and us than we know. And in John chapter six, verse sixty-one, Jesus said this. He said, uh, "Actually, he didn't." I leave that for one second. But in John chapter six, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and so I got to imagine he's got the large crowd. He's got the seventy. He's got the twelve. He's got disciples there, and, and and he stands up one day and he says, "Hey, you know, you love me and you follow me because I gave you bread to eat." He's like, you're only in this for what you get out of it. Some of you in the crowd, you're here, like, you're looking for this encounter and make me feel good, Jesus, and, and, and I want to see the miracle again. And, you know, Jesus kind of saying, if I stopped doing those miracles for you, you would walk away anyways, because your heart's not with me. And then he makes this statement, and he makes this bold statement. He goes, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And then he didn't have a mic like me and say, oh, by the way, guys, you'll see later in Scripture that's metaphorical. I didn't actually mean it that way, but it's like, like, Jesus, this, you know, if I'm Peter and I'm John, I'm like, Peter's like, whoa. And John's like, mm, Jesus, this has the makings of a cult all over it. Could you not, you know, I feel like I'd try to be more like, like could you have not used better words, Jesus, because uh, it might have been received a little bit better. And he says, no, no, like. Jesus draws a line in the sand, he says, hey, when I've asked you to follow me, will you follow me? And those are big things, because we have, we've made it very easy, we slip up our hand, we pray a prayer, you believe in your heart, you confess through the mouth, the Bible says you will be saved, yes but it also comes with a lifetime of surrender, repentance, and attitude of heart that walks with Jesus all the days of your life. Because Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, follow me when you're on a spiritual high, and the worship is good, and the room feels great. He says, follow me when you're home by yourself, or you're crying in your car, and you've lost a loved one, or you don't understand the diagnosis. Jesus says, I need you to follow me in all of those things. Will you partake of the things that I partake of? And I think we've lost a lot of our theology. That's suffering can actually happen in the body of Christ. And it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It simply means we have to lean on Jesus more and be more dependent on him and know who we are in Christ because he is not leaving or forsaking us. But sometimes we walk away because following Jesus gets hard. And so he says to the crowd, he says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And it says that many of them Started walking away. And then the disciples start murmuring against one another. And they're like, oh my gosh, should Jesus have said that? Should we go stop the crowd? Should we chase them out the door because they're upset? Should we say, oh no, no, just we'll explain it to you later. He, he It came across as harsh, but it's not. No, no, Jesus was saying, like, look, if you're going to choose to follow me, choose to follow me. And verse 61 says, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, he goes, does this offend you guys? And we have a world and a culture that Jesus is promising healing and restoration and a life that people don't deserve. But when we stand up and when Jesus is saying, follow me, which means we die daily. We leave our old life behind. We come in as we are, but we die to ourselves in the life we now live. We live by faith in the Son of God, which means some of our attitudes, our actions, our past, our sin, it has to die. And we have to kill it sometimes if we haven't left it when we started following Jesus. And sometimes as the church and as disciples, we, we, we start complaining like, well, maybe we can make it a little bit easier on people. in Jesus sometimes ask, well, does it offend you? That if I laid down my life, I've asked other people to do that in following me? If that's what's required? An offense Can put distance between us and Jesus. And so he asks the 12, he says, Does this offend you? And and people are starting to walk away and people are starting to do their own thing. And and finally, Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, no, we have a decision to make. And he says this in John chapter 6, verse 67. He says, And Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, Are you also going to leave? But Simon Peter replied, Lord, to who would we go? For you have the words that give life. See, Jesus knew that as soon as the murmuring in the crowd, as soon as the questioning, all of that stuff, it was gonna put distance between them and him, and many people fell away. The person in relationship that we hurt most by carrying offense is our relationship with the Lord. Because what we do is we've held on to something. We're saying, God, I will follow you and I'll give you everything else, but I'm gonna hold on to this even if you ask me to release it. Even if you ask me to forgive. We've said, God, I, yeah, Jesus said, Jesus, w- would you follow me? And he says, well, then, then suffer with me. And sometimes, it's like I've heard the Lord in my prayer life. Are you gonna follow me? Yeah, Lord, I said I'll follow you. Then let that go. And you're like, but and it's like where why? Where's the but? Because it's like Jesus saying, follow me, and I like, but I want I want to stay offended. I'm gonna follow you, but I'm gonna hold on to this. He says, Well, then it'll be a it'll be a hurdle or a roadblock or a stumbling block time and time again. And just being honest and vulnerable with you as a leader, as a pastor, time and time again. You pick little things up, and you have to hear the Holy Spirit saying, lay it down again. It's not worth stopping your relationship with me. It's not worth putting distance between us, because the minute we say, God, I'll follow you. You can have everything, but there's areas that we won't let him touch. It affects our relationship with the Lord, and we wonder why we feel a bit of distance, and we wonder why we feel like we can't make strides forward. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And so, sometimes we're living offended and not happy, but that's not God's plan and His purpose for a life. And, and, and I don't want to give some pat answer of like, well, then just, just stop being offended. Just let it go. Just just don't worry about it. Because those type of statements and those type of things, they, they don't help you in your heart. They don't deal with the root issue. But what I'm asking for us to do today is we're going to go back into worship. And I actually believe that one of the first things we can do is we can start expressing trust and faith in God, that he's bigger than any of the things we've been dealing with. And as we do that, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, would you help me? Because sometimes we're like, okay, i got to fix this, i got to do this, i got to do that. And sometimes when someone tells you that and you're not ready to do that, you, you just shut your brain, you shut your heart, you shut your mind. But I'm saying, if we get into the place in the presence of the Lord and we say, Lord, here I am, Even like David said, show me if there's any wicked way in me. Because God, I'm open to your Holy Spirit, not just because someone read some scriptures or said something from a platform. But I believe the Lord calls us to respond. We don't know how to fix everything all the time. My gosh, I wish I knew how to fix things all the time. It'd be so much easier. When my kids have problems, when my family has problems, if I could just fix it, I would feel so much better. But when you can't, you have to say, Lord, I need your help. And we have to learn to respond in a place where we say, Lord, I'm willing for you to show me if this is just my unmet expectations and I need to lay it down. Sometimes we need to say, Lord, I'm going to come to this place and I don't know how to deal with this but I know there's probably an issue in my heart And we say it very carefully and very slowly. And we say, Lord, if you show me the things I need to deal with, would you help me deal with them? Oh, those are painful prayers to pray. Because we love to believe that we say that once and boom, it's gone. And oftentimes, you pray a prayer like that. And the Lord will allow opportunities to come up for you to practice it. And you're like, no, 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 I didn't ask to practice dealing with this over and over and over again. I asked you to take it away, Jesus. But it's that humility and it's that coming to Jesus and realizing that life is found in Him. And it's getting to the place where we say, Jesus, no matter how hard it is, I will not let this thing, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, keep me from growing in my relationship with you. And when we come to that place some days will be more difficult than others, but Jesus can bring a hope and a healing and a path forward that helps us temper sometimes our expectations, sometimes helps us temper and adjust the issues on the inside to say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust you. It builds our faith. It builds strength. When we come to Jesus in a place where we just say, Lord, I don't want distance between us, it gets easier and easier because actually the distance would hurt more than the things you need to deal with, but when you've been apart for a season and you need to lay some things down it is painful in the beginning process and that's why we need the holy spirit hey thanks for joining us today if you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you